0: Hi, Kristen. Thanks for coming on the podcast with me.
1: Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: I am really excited to have you because I think that you bring a really unique perspective to the healthcare field of being both a patient and a nurse. And I would love to hear more about your story and would love to talk about that more. Can you tell us a little bit like maybe like a brief summary of your experience? I know it's kind of a long (laughs) story.
1: Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So um, my journey into healthcare started at age nine when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, My diagnosis took about four months from start to finish, which is very unusual. Um, Most people take much longer than that to get a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, But I immediately was put in the hospital and spent three months there and um, took a while to really get stabilized. And then when I was released from the hospital, Um, I spent about another four to five years managing my disease medically. So with medications um, and at the age of 15, uh, I was very sick and a very bad Crohn's flare. And I had my first of many surgeries uh, for Crohn's disease. I had um, a total colectomy. My whole colon was removed. I had a temporary ostomy placed at that time. And then I had a J pouch formed which um, unfortunately long-term did not work out for me. And I went back to a permanent ostomy uh, at the age of 19.
0: Four so months—that seems like a long time. <laughs> but you said most yeah. people take longer.
1: Um, most people with IBD, the symptoms can start out very um, sporadically or very sort of mm-hmm. nondescript. So patients present with things like fatigue, joint pain, sometimes diarrhea, sometimes not. You know, depending on which inflammatory bowel disease they they end up diagnosed with. Um, But the symptoms are so different for every patient that it often takes a while for physicians to run blood work and different types Mm -hmm. of diagnostics to really figure out what's going on. So um, Mm -hmm. I was very lucky that it only took about four months. Um, Certainly at age nine, I didn't feel lucky and my parents didn't feel lucky, you know, the situation that we were in. Um, But long term looking back now, certainly I had um, probably what most would describe as like a Pollyanna experience with being diagnosed with Mm -hmm. IBD. It was very traumatic for me as a child. um, But I'm lucky that I've had a really good team from day one. So.
0: Can we really quick, can you tell us, um, maybe define Crohn's and IBD in your terms? I know IBD is irritable bowel disease, but I think it's kind of like a more general
1: term, right? Well, so IBD is inflammatory bowel disease, and it is um, a pair of what we call like sister diseases. So you have Crohn's disease, and you have ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Crohn's disease can affect anywhere within the GI tract. So it can start in the mouth, go all the way through the esophagus, Mm -hmm. down into the stomach, small intestine, large intestine. Uh, Ulcerative colitis tends to be only in the large intestine or colon.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. And
1: with Crohn's disease, it can kind of have sort of what we call a cobblestoning appearance when looked at. Um, endoscopically or through a colonoscopy where you'll have like a patch of disease and then you'll have normal mucosa and then another patch of disease, ulcerative colitis tends to more so um, be all-encompassing. So it'll start at a point and then spread and all of the mucosa will be involved.
0: And do you know, is it genetic or do you develop it
1: like... IBD can be genetic. Um, In some families, there's a very strong genetic component. So I am the Mm -hmm. only person in my family with IBD. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, uh, my daughter, who is 19 years old, uh, when she was born, one of my biggest concerns was would I pass IBD along to her? Um, I have not at this point. uh, She does have some other health concerns, but not bowel disease. Mm.
0: Thank you for defining those. Sorry to interrupt your story. No,
1: no, not at all. Um, so yeah, so I had my first, um, of many surgeries at age 15. Since the age of 15, I've had 19 more surgeries. Those mostly were either, um, stoma revisions. Um, so stoma, meaning the part of my intestine that comes through my abdominal wall, I wear a pouch over it. That's an ostomy. Um, that's how I've lived since the age of 15. So I've had a lot of stoma revisions to either fix that portion or something was going on with the skin uh, that needed to be fixed. And then I also have had a lot of hernia repairs. So mm. um, anytime you cut into the abdominal wall, you weaken the tissue that's in there. And um, over the years I have had a lot of um weakening of that tissue kind of gets what you would describe as like kind of wet toilet paper and it's difficult to sew back together again. Mm. Um, So I now have um, some mesh in there holding me together. So I tell people I'm held together by (laughs) mesh in a prayer.
0: (laughs) It sounds like such a puzzle to try to figure out. (laughs)
1: Um, It it certainly can be. I've had um, some fantastic surgeons who have performed what I would classify as miracles inside my abdomen. So um, I'm actually lucky to be standing. So um, we'll we'll take it for what it's worth.
0: I think it's um, interesting to think about how like um, medicine is like a, it's a science, but it's definitely also an art because every person is unique. Every person is unique. So like, it's just interesting to hear about yeah, I mean, maybe everyone gets the same name surgery, same name surgery, but it goes different for everyone. So, oh, yeah. um, so you became a nurse a little bit later in life, right? And I, I would did. love to, hear, <laughs> I would love to hear about how this experience as a patient has affected you as a nurse, or how being a nurse has affected you as a patient. Like maybe either one.
1: Yeah, um, I think. On both respects, definitely, um, they're intertwined. You know, I've always said about my personal story that my vocation and my avocation have collided. And I think I'm very fortunate mm. in that. Um, so my journey into nursing started actually, um, you know, I, I decided at probably the age of nine or ten that I wanted to be a nurse. And when I finished high school, I went off to a four year school to complete a bachelor's in nursing. Unfortunately, my Crohn's disease had other ideas and I wasn't able to Mm -hmm. finish. And I actually ended up having to drop out of school. Um, I needed an emergency surgery. After that emergency surgery, um, I was left in a situation where my parents had gone through um, a not so nice divorce and I no longer had health insurance. And obviously, as someone who had an ostomy and ostomy supplies are expensive, if I were to pay cash out of pocket for what I need on a monthly basis, it would probably cost me about $800. So I needed to get a job and I needed to get a job quickly. And I was very fortunate that um, I had in high school completed a program that got me my nurse's aid certification. And the hospital where I had had all of my surgeries and all of my treatment um, was hiring nurses' aides. And I actually got a job right on the floor where I had spent so much time as a child and teenager Mm -hmm. and worked with some of the same nurses who actually took care of me in um, my early journey. So that was sort of my segue into nursing. Um, From there, I didn't have the opportunity to go back to school until much later in life. um, But my vocation... Um, My passion for patients and my passion for advocacy uh, landed me in a situation where uh, pretty much every job I've had in my career path has placed me working with patients. Um, But at the age of 40, I found myself um, without a job. I had just gone through a tough period of illness Mm -hmm. And uh, my father had passed away. I had some money to work with. And I said, you know what, I'm 40 and I'm gonna go back to school and I'm gonna fulfill my lifelong dream of becoming a nurse. So that's what I did. Um, And I have been working in nursing now since uh, 19, well, no, not 19. (laughs) Um, It's been about six years. And um, I've been in the position that I hold now for the last five. I work as a GI nurse care coordinator And um, I work specifically with patients with swallowing and esophageal disorders.
0: Mm.
1: It's a really nice um, sort of I still work in GI, so I still have um, contact with lots of patients with IBD and with ostomies. Um, But because I primarily work with people who have swallowing disorders, it makes it a lot easier for me to leave my job at my job and not take Mm -hmm. it home with me.
0: (laughs) I could see that. I could see that. So how has your, now that you're a nurse, how does, has, do you think that you have a different perspective on caring for your patients than other nurses that haven't been patients? Or do you feel like as a patient, you have a different perspective because you're a nurse or do you think it's similar?
1: Um, I think from a nursing perspective, having been a patient um, makes me a much better detective I think, when trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's going on with my patients. So I tell pe- people that um, nursing, at least in my in my role as a care coordinator, spent a lot of time on the phone with patients, a lot of time educating, a lot of time triaging. And so often what patients really need is just someone to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm aware of that because as a patient myself, I've been on the other end of that phone as a patient. I have had that desperation in my voice. I've been at that rock bottom place where, please just help me find a diagnosis, help me find a treatment that's going to give me some quality of life back. Um, so I think it gives me a little bit more empathy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, certainly I'm not saying that, that nurses who haven't been patients can't be empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it is entirely a different perspective And I think uh, particularly the mental health journey of being a patient with chronic illness um, is something that's not talked about enough, but I think because of my own personal experience, I can identify in my patients maybe when they need a little extra support in that arena. Mm.
0: Um,
1: As a patient now, having been a nurse, I have a whole new appreciation for uh, the brokenness of the healthcare system. Um, I used to get very frustrated when I would call for an appointment and be told, oh, we don't have anything available for three months. Uh, I used to be very upset about um, maybe the length of time that it took for a provider to get back to me, to answer a phone call, to answer an email. Um, I certainly have a whole new appreciation now for the people um, who were in those roles supporting me as a patient. Um, given my experience now as a nurse in an ambulatory setting and um, being the one responsible for for doing all those things and providing that support to patients.
0: I I can totally see as a patient how it's frustrating to wait months for appointments. Or, I mean, that's part of the reason I work in the ER, and that's part of the reason I've said it before, but why our ERs are so clogged up is because you can't get appointment for like months and months. A 100%. I I would be interested in hearing more about, so it definitely is still frustrating to have to wait for appointment and an appointment. So I wonder like what does, you have more understanding for the people because I think maybe, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but you realize all the barriers that they have to go through to make that appointment. Mm -hmm. But definitely it's, it's still broken that people have to wait a couple months for appointments. But I think, um. As a patient, maybe you understand more, like like I said, like what has to be done in order to have that appointment or what what's given you the understanding?
1: Um, in my role as the care coordinator, I do a lot of triaging. So I talk to patients on the phone all day long and I, I'm listening to their symptoms and how long their symptoms have been going on and how severe mm-hmm. they are. And a lot of my job is to determine, okay, does this patient need an appointment next week? or mm. tomorrow and if that is the case then I have to work with the providers that I support to make that happen.
0: So you um, are that person that's making I am. I'm I'm the gatekeeper.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's um, a big job. <laughs> it is a very big job and I don't take it lightly. Um mm-hmm. and I think it's important that patients understand that they are part of the healthcare team. And mm. um you know, there needs to be a trust there. There needs to be a trust between the patient and the provider and the nurse who's involved. Um, you know, I've been lucky or blessed in, in my 37 years of living with chronic illness, for the most part, I've had really great providers who I've been able to establish that trust with. And if I called them and told them, Hey, like something's not right. And I need to be seen. They trusted that I knew that, you know, my body, my symptoms, and they would make the appropriate, um, you know, accommodations for me. And I try to do that for the patients that I interact with too. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, there are barriers, you know, I, I support three providers and I know what days they are available to see patients in clinic and what days they're doing procedures. And there's only so many appointments to go around and, You know, the people that I I work with are wonderful and they'll do their best to accommodate, um, you know, if a patient needs to be seen. We're throwing people on at lunch. We're throwing them on after hours. We're doing virtual appointments. Um, But that's only sustainable for so long. You know, at the end of the day. That that can lead to burnout. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all just people and we're human Mm -hmm. and we have boundaries and we have a limit. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and that just doing the best you can
0: with yeah. what you have.
1: <laughs> and that's what makes us great nurses is that we have that mm-hmm. humanity and that empathy. Um, but it also means that we have finite resources. And that's sort of where yeah. the healthcare system is broken at the moment.
0: <laughs> and I think what the issue that can come across is those finite resources sometimes appear like as a provider, we don't care. Right. Like it sometimes comes across as us saying sometimes that we don't care when in reality it's just we don't have the resources mm-hmm. and we need to allocate them to yes. the best that we know how. And it doesn't mean that we don't care. But I think that when the person that you're talking to is telling you you can't get appointment for three months, it it makes sense that that is the person that's frustrating to you. So, yeah.
1: Well, and so important. much of that comes down to communication. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, um, and I've said this a million times in the clinic that I work in, we don't have enough time to educate our patients. We don't have Mm -hmm. enough time to communicate with our patients. (laughs) We do not have enough time to educate our patients either. (laughs) I mean, when patients come to see us in our specialty clinic, the appointment time is 30 minutes. Yeah, and that thirty minutes has to include. You need that time to educate. from the moment the medical assistant gets you out of the waiting room and takes you and puts you on the scale, puts you in the room, goes through your meds, reviews your vital signs, all of that, and then maybe you, you know, we. I work in a in an ap- academic center, so maybe a resident comes in to see you, maybe a fellow comes in to see you that maybe leaves you actually 10 minutes with the physician, you know, at best. Um, and and <laughs> our patients are scheduled for 30 minutes, but a visit never takes just 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's difficult from the provider on their from their standpoint to to educate not just about the disease process of whatever's going on with the patient. But the way that our clinic functions and and who's in charge of what and who does the patient need to contact for what and, you know, what is the role of the administrative assistant and what is the role of the care coordinator and what is the role of the MA and um, patients don't know these things. And they're they're Unfortunately, aren't great resources online for them to figure it out because each care center is different and everybody Mm -hmm. functions in a different way. Um, Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that I think is wonderful about your podcast is that it's giving people an opportunity to get perspective from multiple different places, you know, from Mm -hmm. the patient perspective, from the provider perspective. Um, And I think even just knowing
0: these things can make us make such a huge difference because I actually just went to my OBGYN and I felt like they like rushed out of the room so quickly. But now that you're talking about this, like I I've never worked in that type of setting. So I didn't know there was even like a time limit for patients. And that makes so much sense. Like why I always feel like they're in a rush. Like yeah. I never, no- I never even knew that that was a thing.
1: A part of my role as a care coordinator is, um, you know, we, we are a specialty center. Um, it's a very, very large hospital system based in Cleveland, Ohio. And people come to see us for second, third, fourth opinions. So a lot of my role is getting the, the records from the outside facilities that the mm. patients have already been seen in.
0: Which is another whole mess, not having, <laughs> yes. being able to send charts I easily. Mean.
1: <laughs> and I abstract those records and I pull out the important pieces that I know my providers are going to want. Mm-hmm. Um, but patients don't often understand how important that is for us to be mm. able to see what they've already had done, use that data to decide do they need additional testing, what, types, what type of visit do they need, how long should it be, what type of um, follow-up care they're going to need, all of those things.
0: Making sure you're not wasting resources, but <coughs> also Excuse using me. the resources that you do need. No, you're
1: okay. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and that's it. You know, we have a finite number of appointments, a finite number of testing appointments. So uh, trying to coordinate those for people who are coming from out of state and make sure that they're not spending an entire week with us. You know, it's expensive to be sick.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's expensive Mm -hmm. to to come from out of state or from out of um, the city to a new location to have to stay there. So A lot of different pieces and parts working together. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think um, what I try to do in my role is that when I have the opportunity to get a patient on the phone, so I try to explain these things to them so that they Mm -hmm. have an expectation of what needs to take place and that they can feel like they have some buy-in in their care. You know that they're mm-hmm. a partner, and what's what's going to take place. I think, from a patient perspective, myself, um, having some of that control um, is very important. So much of being sick and having a chronic illness is feeling like you have no control at all. I mean, so, with how
0: confusing it is, that makes sense. <laughs>
1: It is. You know, it's very confusing. And then you can't rely on your own body. And then you are completely reliant on someone who you may not have never met, hoping and praying that they have the answer that you need. You know, I spoke at a conference one time for providers. And I said, from a patient perspective, I've called and I've made this appointment three months ahead of time. And then I have waited until that day of the appointment, and I'm so excited, but I'm so nervous, and I'm coming perhaps a long distance, and I show up at your hospital system, and I come in and I sit in the exam room. And for you as the provider, I'm probably the 18th patient that you've seen today, and you probably have had a host of, you know, who knows what went on prior to you coming into the room to see me. but I'm hinging my entire existence on what happens in this appointment with you. And you may view me as just a number. Um, and I don't think that any provider truly feels that way, that patients are just a number. But, but I, I think, think it's you have very... to have a
0: certain amount of distance to be able to take care of all these patients.
1: Absolutely. Be, like I just shared with you earlier, you know, yeah. it's... For me, not working with IBD patients is the best because then there is that distance and I don't mm. take the work home with me. You know, it's mm. not quite as personal. Um, and that's a healthy boundary for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a patient who is in desperation, you know, people come to see us all the time who are just desperate, desperate for. Um, some semblance of normalcy back in their life. Desperate for a diagnosis. Desperate for a treatment that's going to give them quality of life. Um, it's very important for us as providers, me as a nurse, the doctors that I work for, to remember that. You know, mm-hmm. whatever just mm-hmm. took place in the office, whenever office drama is going on, and um, you know, whatever happened at home before we ever got to work.
0: Whatever happened with the last patient. That's something right. that's
1: hard for me. And yeah. Know. You know, I mean, you in the ER, I'm sure you see trauma roll in and then you have to put on a happy face and go into the next room and -hmm. pretend that the person next to you isn't falling apart. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that's Mm -hmm. hard. Um, And it's hard to Mm -hmm. do on a daily basis, in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, But that's – the ability to do that is what makes us good at our jobs, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, I had had someone tell me early on in my career – Um, I'd been working on the floor for a very short time. This was back in the nineties and I was working in peds as an aide. and I accompanied a patient and his mom down to, um, an OR suite so that the patient could have a colonoscopy. And unfortunately there were some complications and he wasn't, he didn't make it back to the floor. And myself and one of the other nurses on the floor, had to walk down to that ER, or not the ER, the OR suite, and and escort the mom back to the patient's room without the patient. Mm. And I remember walking, you know, I was 19 years old at this time. I was working as a nurse's aide. I was a patient myself, wanted to be a nurse. And I was walking with this very seasoned, experienced nurse who had one one time taken care of me. And I looked at her, and I was just gutted. You know, this was a young kid who had IBD. It could have been me. And I said, does it ever get any easier? You know, I said, I'm sure you've experienced patients dying before. Does it get any easier? And she looked me dead in the eye and she said, no, it doesn't. And she said, the day that it becomes easy is the day that you know you should no longer be a nurse.
0: Hmm.
1: And that has stuck with me. Um, And I remember that on the days when it's hard you know, when the phone's ringing off the hook and patients are calling and they have a need and I don't have enough resources to meet it that day. And maybe that phone call is going to have to wait till the next day. Um, You know, at the heart of it is the humanity of healing and um, it's people who heal. I mean, we, we employ medicine, we employ science to heal, but it truly is the heart and the soul um, that is the conduit for that healing. And I think to remove the humanity of medicine um, would be a grave mistake. Mm. And I think, too, um, you know, you're, you're, you work in the ER, you're a bedside nurse, and I truly feel that our bedside nurses are the backbone of healthcare in the United States. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have enough of them now. And the ones that we have are overworked and underpaid, and they are leaving the bedside in droves um, to move on to brighter pastures. And I think that that is a huge disservice to patients Um for me, in my 37 years of chronic illness, all of the moments that stand out to me as a patient involve a nurse. Um, Mm. And it's been the nurses that have carried me through and offered me the empathy and the humanity and the courage that I needed um, to heal and become one of them myself. Um, So... Take that for what it's worth. <laughs> um, yeah, I may like Tyrion. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think it's important that that we talk about these things because mm-hmm. when when Jayco comes to do their their survey, these aren't the things that get talked about, mm-hmm. you know. But these are the things that are important and are and are foundational to to patient care. I think, you know, is the yeah. the humanity and the hand holding and. Um, you know, those little bits of soul care that Mm -hmm. nurses used to have the time and opportunity to do that don't really exist anymore. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think that all these barriers and difficulties and challenges that you have to go through put strain on that relationship. I think that, like we were saying, like something that may be a system issue comes across as like a more personal issue, like they don't care about me or Mm -hmm. vice versa. Like this patient doesn't, I mean, we've, I often feel like this, like this patient just doesn't understand. (laughs) They wouldn't be so mad if they understood the situation. And I think that it's, I think that it's really important to just take a step back and be able to separate the system from that relationship. And I think that that is just like a really huge thing to do kind yes. of related to this um you you posted something you have it on your blog about an ostomy nurse that helped you and you talked about how special the relationship was because she talked about a girl who she she had an ostomy right
1: yeah she did she
0: ended up having an ostomy and that created a really special relationship and i think that's really unique and special but i was wondering if you could give advice to maybe patients that aren't providers or providers that aren't patients, like maybe for me, cause I haven't really been a patient too much. Like what, what would you say to us to encourage that understanding to like push for that relationship? And I don't know, like, what would be your advice for those?
1: If I could give advice to any provider, nurse, um, anybody who works in healthcare, It's listen. Um, Nine times out of the 10, the patient will tell you what they need without actually saying it. Mm. Um, You know, I mentioned earlier that sometimes in my role, I view myself as a detective and I have to ask a lot of questions because the patient will call and they'll say, I need A, B, and C, you know, and they're Mm -hmm. angry, they're upset. But by asking a few questions and sort of drawing out of them what the real issue is Um, it builds that rapport it builds trust Um, and again this takes time (laughs) and I realize that not everybody has time Um, but I think if we are able to just even for a moment put ourselves in the shoes of whatever patient is in front of us, you know, mm-hmm. and, and think critically about, okay, what might be going on here besides the obvious? Mm-hmm. You know, for me as a young girl with an ostomy, you know, obvious issues were, um, you know, how am I going to handle changing of the appliance and and going to the bathroom and that? But underneath all of that were concerns of what are my friends going to think? And, um, am I going to meet a man someday who's going to be okay with me wearing this ostomy? And am am I going to be able to have kids? And so much of, you know, I was a difficult patient as a teenager. I was mean, I was nasty. <laughs> um, and that was one of the things that made this, this relationship with this nurse, um, so special is that she overlooked all of that and she breezed right into my room and she pulled up the shade cause I had it pulled down cause I was determined I was going to be depressed. And she had the audacity to come over and sit on my bed when there was a big sign over my bed <laughs> that said, do not bump the bed. Um, because she knew that the issue wasn't with the blind and the issue wasn't with someone sitting in my bed. The issue was I had all these big, big questions. Um, about my future underlying. um, And my behavior was just me lashing out and wanting some control and wanting some understanding. Um, And she had walked in my shoes. So she was able to come and, you know, I was gruff and not nice to her. And she just started talking to me and um, said to me, well, um, have you ever met anybody who has an ostomy? And I thought, well, gosh, no, lady. Everybody who has an ostomy is like 80 years old, and they're in the nursing home. And, (laughs) you know, here's this bright, young, blonde thing. She was probably 35, and um, she starts telling me about a little girl who was born with uh, bladder extrophy who had a, a urinary ostomy for all of her life and about how she grew up and went on to be a nurse. And, you know, I'm thinking what's going on? And, you know, she told me it was her. And I thought, oh, okay. So instantly she had credibility to me. Um, and I felt safe with her, but I think providers who don't have that personal experience can still provide that credibility and still provide that safety for patients. Um, Just by listening and acknowledging um, that, yeah, maybe you're angry or maybe you're sad or maybe you're depressed, whatever, whatever's going on with your patient, Um, putting a a name to those things sometimes for patients is really helpful and just um, acknowledging that that's what they're going through. They feel seen and they feel validated Um, and maybe you can't fix it but for them just to know that someone recognizes it can be really impactful, I think.
0: I think I love what you said there. I think that acknowledgement is really huge. And from someone who works in the ED, I think that like a few times every shift, I have to step back and say, this is my every day, but this might be this person's Once in a lifetime, have to take their kid to the emergency room experience, and Mm -hmm. I have to remind myself of that when I go in the rooms. And when I remind myself of that, it and even just stepping in and the first thing you saying, the first thing you say is, "Like this is scary." Like I understand that this is a difficult position. Like here's what we're gonna do. Like just acknowledging that I think is really huge, and um. Even being the nurse in the waiting room, where you're the one that's checking in patients, you're the one that's answering how long is the wait time. Being that nurse, I found that even if you start off that conversation like, like wow, like this this must be really scary for you. Like just acknowledging that not not for you that sounds a little demeaning, but like I think just acknowledging that makes such a huge difference, and it changes the whole vibe of the conversation because 100%. then they, I feel like they understand you're not against them.
1: You're yes. with them. We're on you the same team. Them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what this
0: whole podcast is about. We're on the same team. <laughs> we are on the same team. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. I, I think that what you said is just really Important for people to hear both patients and providers. And just, I think anyone who, I mean, unfortunately, most of us will be involved in the healthcare system at some time. And I think that it's important to just understand that there's three people involved the system, the providers, and the patients. And yes. just that recognition is really huge. And coming with assuming the best, I also think, is something to take away from this conversation.
1: So. Yeah, absolutely. 100%.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Hey,
0: guys. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. And you can find us on social media at Let's Chat Healthcare. Thanks again to Kristen for coming on and sharing with us. And I'll see you next time on Let's Chat Healthcare you. Mm-hmm.